0: Plushcare.com slash
1: What dark deeds unfold on the streets of Arkham? And which unwitting souls,
0: innocent or impure, will succumb to the maddening call. The call
1: of Cthulhu.
2: Experience the unknowable horror and black comedy of Nerdy Show's Call of Cthulhu Mystery Program, an RPG audio drama. Welcome to Nerdy Show, a weekly podcast dedicated to every facet of nerddom. From comics and video games to science and technology, if it's geeky, we've got it covered. Hi, I'm Cap. Hey, I'm Brandon. Hi, I'm John. And with us for this episode, we also have a special guest, Jazzy. Hello! This is a Nerdy Show microsode, and that's where we talk about what you want us to talk about. Though, though... Something has happened here. A little bit of inspiration has struck because Viral Demon asked us to talk about our favorite obscure video games, much like some of our past episodes. Back in 2009, we did an episode on obscure video games during nerdy shows, what we were calling at the time our second season, just after we moved from radio to podcasts. And, And then later on, we did an episode called Cinema Obscura, where we were asked to talk about our favorite obscure films. So this is kind of like a spiritual sequel to all that stuff, but... When I started looking at potential co-hosts to pull in from the outside world, not from within Nerdy Show, about obscure video games, I talked to Jazzy, and Jazzy had a sort of sidestep concept that I liked so much, I wanted to turn into a Microsoft of its own. So yes, we will be talking dedicatedly about obscure video games in the near future. But right now, well, we're going to talk about what Jazzy called the long-lost genre of creative video games. But before we get into that... Who is Jazzy? That's a good question. Jazzy and I met via Fangamer, where she works doing all kinds of awesome video stuff and the brains behind, you know, that thing I couldn't stop talking about, Camp Fangamer. <laughs> so I guess we should, we should talk about, uh, about that. So what is, what, is it, what is your job at the Fangamer?
3: What is my job at the Fangamer? I do their video production. I oversee a lot of their uh, video marketing, as well as their event planning. Just recently, we started getting much more into higher production commercials, so a lot of my time has actually lately been spent on creating production design for some of the commercials we're doing. But then, simultaneously, I'm also working on the Earthbound USA documentary, which has been in production for about, I think, four or five years now. <laughs>
4: so. I think we should rephrase the question and ask, what don't you do at Fangamer? Gamer?"
3: Yeah, I it's hard when I'm trying to do my taxes. I don't know what to put on my W two. <laughs> mm, mm.
4: The brains.
3: <laughs> but yeah, I do a lot of the creative stuff, minus
4: doing merchandise,
0: <laughs> which is so probably... basically like everything else. Then
4: you said it. I didn't. So who doesn't pull their weight at Fan Gamer? You want to tell us? <laughs> no. <laughs> who's, just, who's just not living up to their potential over there? Fan yeah. Gamer is an an incredible <laughs> company filled with incredible people who all do incredible things. Did you say company? I may have said a company. I like it's that company. <laughs> I need to like, trademark that. It's like a conglomerate. If you have several d- companies, you've got a company. Yeah. <laughs> We've just created a new word. Or Someone it, patent it, that. If you can't if you if you're like
2: fangamer and you can't necessarily pin yourself or don't want to in this case, pin yourself down to doing specifically one thing, you may be a company. You guys are officially <laughs> a company from that here on. <laughs> But in addition to all that stuff, Jazzy has recently struck out on her own in terms of video production, doing some really amazing, dare I say, avant garde animation and uh, multimedia storytelling techniques, particularly involving using Mario Paint in a way
4: I never <laughs> thought possible.
3: I like that. I really like what you just said. <laughs> Everybody keeps saying that.
4: Are you actually <laughs> just using Mario Paint to create all that? <laughs> <laughs> or I, are you just messing with me, Kat?
3: Well, no. <laughs> I, think, I think Mario Paint is a tool that can be used in conjunction with other tools. And you can create something very unique. A lot of people online I've noticed use like MS Paint. But Mario Paint has a very different aesthetic to it. In that it's got a <laughs> very limited number of options that are available to you. <laughs> and I think the result of using those and kind of seeing how far you can push those boundaries... It's something that is reminiscent of a lot of people's childhoods or in the least is just some strange curiosity for people who have either never heard of Mario Paint or never played it and are just seeing it for the first time. There's something kind of surreal about it. So I use it for that and then mix in other things like photo manipulation or live action video. Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm
4: definitely looking at images of people pushing the boundaries right now. Oh, what, you, what pornography have you pulled up, Brandon? <laughs> there's, a, there's a man shitting, and there's another guy pointing at the shit with his mouth open, and there's hearts in the background. And then yeah! Like, and then there's like yeah. a super detailed Mario that just, just really <laughs> makes me feel uncomfortable. Yeah. yeah, I'd like to point
3: out that you're not looking at my work right now. I don't know that. (laughs) But you are looking at Mario Paint work, and I can tell you exactly why I know that. Because I think the first thing people do when they pick up Mario Paint, of of any age, this goes across the board, the first thing that they do is they draw shit or dicks. (laughs)
4: That is completely (laughs) Mm -hmm. accurate.
3: (laughs) And I think that's such a cool, liberating part of creative games. Why that is, is because when a game dares you, or really anybody kind of dares you to be creative, and they just put a blank canvas in front of you, I think the impulse to be rebellious is extremely real and a a beautiful thing. And following that can lead into to more and more. I think a lot of people do stop after drawing shit, dicks, and, and so on in Mario Paint. So I've just kind of taken it further.
4: We, we actually had a friend who I dare say was a genius at Mario Paint. And he he designed his last will and testament. And then when he did actually pass, we used that as his last will and testament. It was just yeah, an animated Really? For, yeah. for,
2: for long-term nerdy show listeners, you will no doubt remember the now saint-like figure of Triforce Mike. <laughs> Who unfortunately died several years ago, and he did leave a tape that was, I kind of ironically labeled last will and testament that was. <laughs>
0: literally- yeah, that's, that's really messed up. <laughs>
2: <laughs> we found it, it and it, we're like, well, I guess this is it. And it's it's Mario with a huge cock ejaculating, and then also I believe a butthole shitting.
4: Yeah, well, it change. It, yeah, and it also it changes like halfway into it. I think. Yeah. And there's also um, it's playing Twinkle Twinkle Little Star as like dogs and cats barking. And it's like Triforce really, Mike. really mm. off key. And we can actually link to that on this episode's page.
3: <laughs> Please do. I'd love to see that. That's
2: beautiful. Uh, Rest it, in
3: peace, it, Triforce Mike. That's sure a is... really
2: great way to, <laughs> to be remembered. But <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> well, the other thing I want to mention is we should, for the uh, sake of this audio program, actually describe what Jazzy's work looks like because, <laughs> des- because consulting the, the technical aspects of how it's done makes no sense under this context. So there's two large-scale pieces that are out right now. There's Battle of the Millennial Mind, and there's also The Wingman, which is a short film. But um, I guess we'll talk about Millennial Mind as the, the case example. And that is what appears to be an audio collage you've made interviewing people at a party where all of the people are animated, uh, kind of. Their mouths mm-hmm. are animated, and there's various different kinds of backgrounds that aren't necessarily Mario Paint it's hilarious i've showed it to a bunch of people
4: like it's very surreal and fun why has I, it why has adult swim not picked this up yet as a show <laughs>
0: yeah right well <laughs> I, I
4: saw uh, parts of wingman and i was like this is an adult this is like a oh,
2: show yeah wing wingman is on par and above with some of the content i've seen like from adult swim i was swim. about
0: to say i think it has like a higher level of detail than most of the <laughs> quality stuff they put on there these days <laughs> yeah better quality <laughs>
2: Wow! such high praise no it's good dude and it's really like i mean as far as like art animation like left of center animation goes this is cutting edge you know like this is so weird i've never seen anything like it before wingman features some live action characters green screened in and also props and so on but then also, all the backgrounds are fully Mario Paint, and it's this great short film about a guy who, uh, whose entire life changes for the better or for the worse when he wins a lifetime supply of hot wings.
3: Yeah, it's weird. Like after I did Battle of the Millennial Mind, I realized that um, like the whole design of it was like the inverted version of The Wingman, uh, <laughs> because Wingman is like live action characters on Mario Paint backgrounds, and then Millennial Mind is Mario Paint characters on. Uh, photo like realistic backgrounds, but
4: yeah, they both have their own unique uh, quality and appeal for sure. How does one get the Mario Paint images out of Mario Paint <laughs> and put them in something else?
3: There's a couple of ways. So if you want to get a high definition version, you can either use an emulator and just do screen capture using QuickTime or something. But just recently, somebody actually showed me that I guess. These folks reverse engineered the Super Nintendo console, so now it outputs HDMI. Nice. So theoretically, you could actually get a very crisp image from the cartridge itself. So those are the two ways you can go about it, and I've done both for for different reasons. It really depends on what it is for. For instance, for the Wingman, I wanted all the backgrounds to look very crisp, so that way they would kind of match the crispness of the live-action character video
2: one of the things I love is that you could do this animation process to a certain extent but it always goes one step further like on the animated characters in the wingman there's a lot of mouths that were clearly animated a la carte <laughs> and then you put them over the bodies of them so the mouths then move they're flapping and they're also moving in a different way as well which I, I love it gets so it's gets so weird and layered <laughs> yeah and again that's kind of like the limitations
3: of. Mario Paint as a tool, there are three different types of animation canvases you can use in Mario Paint. The first one is the largest canvas, and you can have up to four frames. The second is, I believe, six frames, and it's a slightly smaller canvas. And then the smallest canvas is nine frames. So depending on how complex you want your animations to be in terms of the frames, um, you kind of have to compensate for how large or small they're going to be. And in most cases, I liked getting really close to these characters visually, and so they needed to have very large mouths. So I kind of would do these uh, generic mouth movements. And then when you place an animation of any size or any frames, you can actually animate where the animation itself is going on the background image. So that's kind of why the mouths, say, move up from somebody's chin up to like the side of their cheek or something because i was able to just kind of make it seem like there were more frames than there really were
4: <laughs> it looks very time consuming are you actually using please tell me you are a super nintendo controller to draw all these things or are you just using an emulator use a then? mouse brandon it came with a mouse did it yes the the, the super nintendo <laughs> no mouse. back man why yeah it came with mouse and a Paint. mouse pad like, i want me to go get them for you i can go get them no what i'm saying is <laughs> I think I bought a used copy of Mario Paint, and <laughs> I didn't know there was a mouse. I was using a Super <laughs> Nintendo controller. Drone. Oh, homeboy, I'm there so sorry. There was a sorry. fucking mouse. There was a fucking mouse, man. Well, shit. No wonder all my stuff looked bad. <laughs> yeah,
3: everything was like in angles, huh? Oh my god, angles right. or using that D-pad. It's, it's rough. Like,
2: like the most annoying etch-a-sketch. The etch-a-sketch okay. itself is pretty annoying.
3: There is actually a new mouse that was just released—a third-party mouse that you can buy. That's fairly inexpensive. I think it's like twenty dollars. So that's
2: good for them, man. Whoever's doing that kind of retro hardware stuff, all those people, I really just love that they're doing it.
3: Yeah, so to answer your question, I
2: sometimes use
3: a Super Nintendo, and sometimes I use a emulator. Again, it really depends on what I'm going for. If I want a really lo-fi style, and I don't really want to put too much time into it, I'll go with a cartridge. If I'm going to be doing a lot of detail work, and if I want to experiment a bit more, I'll try to use an emulator, because the thing with Mario Paint... You can only go back one time. You can only step back once. (laughs) Um, There's no control Z. But with an emulator, because you can rewind, that's kind of like a makeshift undo for, I think, up to five minutes. So in that case, I can experiment a lot more. But on a console using an actual cartridge, it's very (laughs) nerve-wracking. Because the more detailed you get, the more likely it is you're going to mess it up and it's going to become irreparable. And you have to start over.
4: Let's get Wingman uh, syndicated. Let's <laughs> get on that. Let's pitch it. <laughs> <that> or even, <laughs> I think Disney would even do it at this point. <laughs> what, did they just lose Pickle and Peanut? Well, they, they, they canceled Pickle and They need Pickle a new edgy show. But I just want to say, Pickle mm. and Peanut was great. I'll gladly pour one out for Pickle
2: and Peanut. If you ever see me and I'm holding a drink and you say, hey, you got to pour one out for Pickle and Peanut, I don't care how much I'm
4: enjoying it, I will pour one out for Pickle and Peanut. I don't care where I am. I love that show. We should make a drink dedicated to them with pickle juice and like peanut flavored vodka yes and then throw <laughs> up immediately after drinking yeah. i oh, will God. do that
3: just mashed up peanuts <laughs> in a
4: drink that sounds <laughs> just awful. in vodka just mash peanuts <laughs> in it and just try to chew it as you swallow mm. oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah a chewable vodka is what <laughs> the world has chew- been
2: asking for <laughs> oh, that'd be great take it anywhere
4: <laughs> well let's let's talk about the uh, the lost art of creative video games should we start 20 years ago when they stopped being creative, or are there any recent <laughs> examples of creativity? <laughs> Isn't The Sims creative? Well, that's it's a that's a good question. That's a very good question. Like, what yes. does it, what does it mean? Does, something that lets you create, or something that people have actually created that's an original concept that's made th- that lets you create. Got it. I was right. I was like, where are you going with
3: this? <laughs> yeah, creative games that can be such a nebulous term It's probably a good place for us to start. Is how does one define a creative game in I think of creative games as, in particular, creating something from scratch or more of an artistic approach. You can look at games that are more recent, like Minecraft, incredibly creative game, but you can't really do, say, what you can do in Mario Paint in Minecraft. There's, sure, there's Machinima, you can do that with all different types of games, but the games that allow you to pull up a completely blank canvas and simply provide tools to tell a story. And that is an inherent part of their design. You could say that about other games that are more recent, but way back when I was a kid, there were actually games like Mario Paint or like uh, Writing and Creativity Center or 3D Movie Maker. These games that essentially said the point of this is for you to express yourself through a story or through creating a, uh, a feeling. Whereas the games nowadays that have creative aspects to them, that's not the purpose it's kind of a fun spin-off of what the games
2: are. Right, these are things that are half step between an application and some kind of an interactive experience.
3: Precisely. For the same reason people most people when they recall Mario Paint, they go, "Oh yeah, that wasn't really a game."
4: I feel like a game is anything that you have fun with. So I would still consider it a game if it's fun to create using it. I, I mean,
0: I'm sure there are many know. PhDs which would disagree with that. statement. Yeah, I guess
4: <laughs> I, I don't really know what the definition of a game is anymore. Aside from having fun, I guess there has to be an end an end to it. And with creative games, there doesn't have to be an end.
3: Yes. The only limit is your imagination. I, I think that was one that. of the taglines of uh, Mario Paint when they were marketing it.
2: Something that looking into this genre made me ask myself was, is it just that these games are made for children generally like capping at 10 or 11, and we simply don't know that they exist anymore because we're just not paying attention?
3: There are a lot of kids who use like iPads Mm -hmm. nowadays, or touchscreens in general. And there certainly are creative apps out there. And it could be that I just haven't found one that is similar to what I'm talking about. But I guess getting back to Mario Paint, this is what I loved about it and what I haven't seen done in a similar way or recreated at all since Mario Paint. Mario Paint allowed you to paint a background, and then it allowed you to also create an animation to apply over the background. And then it even threw in this music composer element, which when you hear the name Mario Paint, <laughs> you don't think of music necessarily.
2: Or, or you very distinctly think of some very specific non-musical sounds that you could play. <laughs> That's notes. all I hear is dogs <laughs> and cats barking yes, when I think yes.
3: of Mario Paint. <laughs> yeah. But when it came out, you know, there's like no expectation for, uh, oh, there's this music maker aspect to it. Mm -hmm. And I think by putting that in there and by the player's guide telling you, here's how you hook up your Super Nintendo to your VCR or to your camcorder so you can record your creations by combining all three of these elements together, you get a fourth element, which is a scene. And then you can do multiple of those and you get a sequence, a fifth element. And then you can create a story. So I've never seen that done in other games, I guess, since Mario Paint or 3D Movie Maker. It's maybe been attempted, but I, I haven't really come
4: across it. I guess as a kid, I never realized, you know, the cartridge has always been limited. So you're like, oh, you can create a few frames, do some music, a little bit of animation, but that's it. And you're like, well, now there's no more memory. Start over and wipe it. I guess I didn't realize you could hook that shit up to a VCR record well, and, it, and then continue where you left off. Well, and if you'd bought the game new, it would have yeah. actually told you. Oh, my God. I mean, you know, your entire life, Brandon. I was like, I like I played it once. I was like, well, I've used up all the memory. I'd have to erase this, but I don't want to erase it. And this whole time I could have just recorded it on a VCR. It's fucking stupid. Yeah. If you go onto YouTube and you type in Mario Paint VHS, a lot
3: of people have uploaded their like childhood archives. It's very fun to watch. Just kind of having it on in the background is something I love.
2: That, uh, that actually reminds me. Famed comic artist Joe Keones dug into his Mario Paint, and uh, we published an article on Nerdy Show, which I'll link to, and uh, posted all of his comic book-inspired Mario Paint illustrations. And it's a great, it's a testament to someone who is, I mean, boy, it was sure as hell the mid-'90s. We got Cyborg Superman. We got Batman, <laughs> the animated series. We got Spawn and plenty of Wolverine. And here is this, this dude who did this stuff on Mario Paint and went on to become one of the biggest names in comics right now. Wow.
3: Yeah, I've heard that... A lot of people kind of cut their teeth with Mario Paint, artistically speaking.
2: If your parents at the time, say, invested in uh, getting you a game console, but you didn't have a home computer yet, then certainly the weird novelty of Mario Paint was very alluring. And I remember, like, in the 90s, there was just that vibe of, oh my god, this weird little game console thing can do so much if you can just plug in a cartridge and do all this stuff, what can't it do? And that was kind of like, I mean, even PC software was having that same kind of attitude of like, whoa, it's the 90s. Like, we just blew the lid off anything. Like, we, could, you could do whatever you want. There's so
4: much creativity out there. And everyone was just throwing shit against the wall to see what would stick. Yeah. Did they never progress this? Did Nintendo ever go, well, there's like a market for this and let's let's create a newer, updated version? Mm-hmm. For- <laughs> well, yes, they did, Brandon. Yes. What was yeah. it called? Mario Paint 2.
3: I think recently somebody actually just found out that there was a Mario Paint 2 planned for the N64, which I didn't even know about. And apparently you can download that online. It's, there's a ROM available online that somebody dumped. But historically, what I remember is Mario Artist for the Nintendo 64 disk drive. And they had planned eight <laughs> eight Mario Artist games. <laughs>
0: that does not make sense. That is craziness.
3: Yeah, each one did something entirely different. Wow. Uh, So they had like a polygon studio, they had a paint studio, a talent studio, which I think is uh, like animating stuff together. There was a communication kit that allowed you to uh, combine, well, you could combine across all of these games in whatever ways you wanted. So you could take your paintings, apply them to your polygons, and then make them do funny things in the talent studio. But then you'd take it all and put it into the communication kit, and then you can upload it to the internet. You know What a process to have to use four <laughs> different games just to share something online.
4: Yeah, I'm looking at some um, screens of it. It's some pretty trippy, <laughs> trippy <laughs> polygon shit going on.
3: Yeah, I think I had heard that a lot of the game actually was outsourced to a completely different company than who made Mario Paint the original game. And I do actually own a N64DD. I bought it just so I could play the Mario Artist games. And I've only been able to successfully play the Polygon Studio, and the Paint Studio, because N64DD games <laughs> are very poorly made, and so they generally get errors. It's hard to find discs that actually work. So all the times I've bought Talent Studio, <laughs> they haven't worked.
2: Wow. Um, so we really dodged a bullet with that thing not getting released in the States in some respects, like because they yes. were cutting corners, I guess? Yeah, I think so.
3: I mean, when I talked to some folks who actually are way more well-versed with uh, Nintendo's history, especially with their weird consoles. When I've talked with them about, say, Earthbound 64 for the Earthbound USA documentary, I heard some very strange things about how apparently Nintendo's heart was so not in it by the end, by the time it came to finally release the N64 DD, because it had been delayed for, I think, several years... By the time it came out, they didn't really feel like putting it out, but they had put so much into it. They're like, okay, we'll we'll put this out, I guess. You had to buy it out of the back of a magazine. (laughs) It wasn't even available in stores. It was something like a, almost like a Columbia Record Club kind of thing. I'm going to get a subscription to this console and they're going to send me games in the mail as they're released. So it was just a really kind of sketchy seeming process. It didn't take off in Japan at all. It tanked in japan the whole console did so only four of the eight mario artist games got released and i don't know what at what point those were in their development cycle but we'll probably never see those my theory is that the n64 dd and how much money they put into creating this kind of almost like adobe suite thing for mario (laughs) paint i think that just kind of put a bad taste in their mouths and nintendo was like okay we're we're not going to really do
2: any more of these kind of creative ventures because
4: let's do nothing complicated from here on
2: out well until 2009 when WarioWare DIY came out the spiritual successor to all the Mario paint games
3: in the uh, Mario artist games There are mini games of course and actually, that was the birthplace of what became WarioWare. A lot of the games that you play in there are just straight-up WarioWare games.
2: Yeah, and then conversely, WarioWare went back in and pulled stuff out of Mario Paint and Mario Artists as well to make their own minigames themed into in that this weird, like, inverse sea cucumber of meta context.
4: Could you create anything, though? Anything? Like, I mean,
2: your own art, all that stuff. Well, yeah. Basically, you know all the components that create a WarioWare minigame. Mm-hmm. It's got animations, it's got backgrounds, it has music. And it has and like, and, and, and it has logic, you know, game logic of what you have to do to complete a task. And you could legitimately make anything that you could conceive as a WarioWare game, you know, unless you wanted photorealistic graphics. You'd still have to draw it yourself, but it was incredible. What's crazy is that at this point, WarioWare DIY is maybe the final word on WarioWare games. Touched was the other one that came out at a similar time, but I think WarioWare DIY came out afterwards. I mean, it was 2009 when it came out in Japan, 2010 in America. Like, it's been. Almost a decade since there's been a, a new WarioWare game, which is crazy. But this one was, in many ways, the ultimate WarioWare game. It broke the entire process down, and via the WarioWare DIY showcase, which was a piece of um, WiiWare, which is what they called the apps on on the Wii, you could download other people's games, and they were all distributed online. And they'd have themed contests to highlight different wow. things. And I've still got stuff saved. I don't know that any of that is even remotely accessible anymore. You could just probably watch YouTube videos of it. I made a a, a WarioWare game where uh, it the the prompt is release mother three and you throw mr saturns at reggie
3: (laughs) (laughs) that's very cool can you put that online still is it possible for people to still download
2: that i don't think the diy showcase is operable anymore i'm not sure i haven't checked
3: that's a bummer but yeah that is really cool i had no idea that there were so many options on there
2: it was a ds game so it used the full you know drawing capabilities that that system offered and the connection to the wii to enhance it and so on and so forth so a really remarkable game, and as far as I know, the last Nintendo-produced
4: creative suite thing that's existed.
3: Well, they did put out Mario Maker,
2: which. Oh yeah, um, I totally, f- I t- that totally passed me. I by. was going to
4: bring that up, but I was like, I didn't know if it was as detailed. Uh, you can't really design sprites and things and that, and use them for animation purposes. It's just yeah, kind of already pre-rendered, pre-made objects.
3: But they certainly are playing off of the Mario Paint spiritual successor. I remember when they first announced that at E3 some years ago, I was watching the live stream, and the creator of Mario Maker was saying that he was actually working on a sequel to Mario Paint. Whoa. And then they um, realized that they could actually take these kind of dev tools that they were using internally to create Mario levels and just put those into a, a game format. I believe somebody must have asked, like, are you guys still making a Mario Paint game? And I believe... He or somebody else, I feel like it may have even been um, Miyamoto, don't quote me on this, I'm not sure who said this, but somebody at Nintendo said, we realize that everybody who plays Nintendo games love to play games, but not everybody who plays Nintendo games is an artist. And I guess that's fair to a certain extent. Ready to pop the question? but there are certainly artists that would love to use something that has like a pixelated aesthetic. I think there certainly is a void that could be filled there. So I'd still love to see something come out that uh, utilizes the the hardware of the present day, that uh, even just harkens back to an 8-bit or a 16-bit style.
4: It's hard for me to believe that, you know, in this day and age, there isn't I'm sure there are similar programs and things all over the fucking PC spectrum.
0: Well, I think that that's part of the whole point is, is that the PC usurped any necessity for consoles to be the computer in the home. Yeah, John, you yeah.
2: experiment a lot with VR and what
4: VR creative tools are out there.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, uh, my headset right now is going through my Vive. Because that's the easiest way to plug in to my computer. Are you in
4: virtual space right now when you're talking to
0: us? Uh, no, only just using the hardware, so I'm plugged into my, you know, brain box.
2: (laughs) I don't actually understand what you're saying right now.
0: (laughs) Yeah, no, I mean, like, you know, you want to talk about wacky, crazy, insane stuff, like, VR is the Wild West like the good old days. There is nothing that isn't attempted right now on it. Most of it doesn't make any damn sense, but they're doing it anyway.
3: I've wanted to experiment with VR, in particular from a storytelling perspective. I can't really think in terms of modern games very much, but I can still think in terms of story because that's where I've come from in my life. But the potential of 3D space and VR and storytelling is just so interesting because you can start to embrace the relativity of stories. For instance, if you have, uh, say, a mystery unfolding in front of you my experience is different from yours if i get to choose where i'm looking and you get to choose where you're looking
0: which is also what um all directors hate about vr is because you can look <laughs> somewhere else
3: <laughs> oh that's 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 funny that's not embracing the technology no no I mean, that's, the that's the whole
0: point of it that's the whole thing we almost have a hundred years of like the film business you know
3: right the film grammar of, yeah. of how you conceive of a story and how you tell that yeah whereas if you're thinking more in terms of an experience less a frame that's i think where storytelling is going to wind up going with
2: vr
0: yeah but yeah like, that's the whole train wreck like we really have to basically create an entire new language figure out what works what doesn't work you know all that or kind of mess
2: give vr to the people who construct elaborate sets escape rooms and also performance artists because they're going to be the ones who actually know what to do with the technology
0: Escape rooms yeah. is a huge market right now in VR, which is really kind of weird, but makes total sense once you, you know, come to terms with it.
2: Yeah, that does make a lot of sense.
0: Easiest
4: way to tell a story in a box, which are the current parameters. You're talking about the, <laughs> the VR escape rooms that are popping up now? That's another component, because that's like a mixed reality escape room. Because is- they actually make a physical set, but then they layer on top of the headset so you can interact with a real physical object. Right, yeah. like um, the yeah. Void,
2: which is the uh, the Star Wars experience, Secrets of the Empire,
4: which mm-hmm. um, I'll link to on this episode's page.
2: We did a full review of it on State of the Empire star wars podcast yeah
0: i wasn't invited well you did it though we did it i I did do it and honestly it was actually kind of weird i mean seriously i spent so much time in vr that like i was having trouble remembering that i could actually just you know practically run how
4: do you know you're not in vr right now how do you know this is reality
0: you know what i'm getting at is seriously i was just standing there like oh god i'm gonna just like run into a wall or something yeah
2: see what john's talking about here is that john's vr is using the htc vive with the two lighthouses (laughs) that give him the box parameter to, Mm -hmm. to exist in but when he was in when he was unchained inside the void, which John is John unchained. Is a free roaming virtual reality experience where everything you see and touch is there. We're
4: not ready for that.
2: Then John's like, Oh God, I, I might walk outside the borderlines, what am I gonna do?
0: Yeah, like <laughs> give me a D pad or a teleporter stick or something. Like I kept accelerating being like, Oh no, this feels wrong. I'm gonna smack into something. <laughs>
4: Because we've talked a lot about VR we have. and we've talked a lot about we, Nintendo. We got, we got to get back to... Well, how come no one's talked about any of the the artistically creative games on Sega or Sega Saturn? <laughs>
2: Sega
3: there were some, weren't there?
2: Yeah, there were. They look absolutely miserable. A- any game system from the 90s that had a disk drive had all kinds of stuff. Uh, 3DO had so 3DO. many weird educational games. Like I have one oh, about yeah. space shuttles.
0: Go on. It, you,
4: could, you mean you can have a dictionary on a CD in Microsoft <laughs> and Cardo? What? Why do we even have teachers in schools? They're worried about the budget. Just load up some of these creative games and just let the kids sit at computers. Yeah, all day. <laughs> Here, make something yeah. in Mario Paint for two hours. Here's your class. You'll they'll learn more from that than anything.
2: Yeah, Jazzy, when you, when you brought this topic I mean, you mentioned a bunch of things I'd never heard of, such as Videomation, fun and games.
3: Yes. Yeah. What, what? I can start there. Videomation, Please. it was actually on the NES. It was like the precursor to Mario Paint. As far as I'm aware, the first like creative game on a Nintendo console. It was just awful. It's got a really catchy theme <laughs> song, though. If Whoever's editing this episode, stick it in right here.
4: I'm looking at the cover of this game, and it's like this detailed tiger jumping through your TV screen at you. And then you like you look at screens of the game, and there's like there's like it's this terribly misleading house with like four lines, and you don't know what's happening. Yes. And you're like, it's wh-
3: terribly misleading. Where did the tiger but go? But it's super exciting looking. Yeah, where is the tiger? There's a lot of clip art that you can insert. From what I remember, <laughs> the animation that you can do is literally it just. Changes the colors <laughs> of, of what you've drawn. like oh, you make little Christmas lights. <laughs> little Christmas. Yeah, animation. it's, it's kind of cool and psychedelic, actually.
2: <laughs> what an unusual way to perceive the concept of animation is just just yeah. changing Change the, the colors. colors.
3: Technically, it's animation, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm sure at the time it was very impressive, but there was no peripheral controller like there was for Mario Paint that allowed you to create with anything more than the D-pad. <laughs> Everything you made had to suffer from weird angles or straight lines.
2: I just went down that- a weird rabbit hole just now pertaining to, um, t- t- to video-mation. It was produced by Farsight Studios, and I'm like, I've never heard of them. What the hell have they done? Apparently, they're still around. <laughs> That's Which terrifying. is crazy. Releasing updates for VideoMation um yeah. last 30 years. <laughs> in, in 1993 they made a game called for the NES called Color a Dinosaur. Ooh, looking it up.
3: <laughs> oh yes, Color a Dinosaur.
4: Yeah, that was another one.
2: Which was distributed weirdly by Virgin Games as in Virgin Atlantic, Virgin Megastore. <laughs>
4: oh God, I'm looking at the game and it's you literally color a dinosaur. You know what these dinosaurs that are already pre, you know, drawn. <laughs> they look horrible. Yeah. They look like ass.
3: Basically, a lot of the creative games were just digital coloring books. You weren't really able to do very much. The other game that we've actually brought up a few times now is Fun and Games, which
4: <laughs> is that the one for uh Sega?
3: Is actually also for Super Nintendo. And it was on the 3DO as well. It had a very wide release. The whole idea behind Fun and Games, as far as I can tell, is like, hey, Let's make Mario Paint, but not as good. Um, So it has like some mini games. There is like a drawing element. There's a lot of clip art that you can do. I don't think there's any animation involved. There is a music maker, which I don't think, I've never seen anybody like use that in the same kind of way that people would use Mario Paint Composer now on the internet. Mm. But yeah, it it felt like such a stifled version of Mario Paint, like Mario Paint Diet. Not even Diet, like Mario
0: (laughs) Paint Dehydrated. Diet, dehydrated plotted, yeah. left <laughs> like,
3: Mario paint left for dead yeah I'm seeing <laughs> some
0: really
4: old weird stuff coming up when I'm searching for fun and games yeah Just it's a-, a
3: pretty bizarre game there was like a weird what do you call those those books where it's like they're divided up into three pages and you can flip each page and make a different. Being well, like they have the head, mm. the torso, and the legs.
2: There I don't know they if there's like a, a, a name like for it, but um, but that is that is a thing that was actually extremely popular in learning and educational children's games. I think the first time I ever saw that was in what's now a long forgotten trilogy of preschool through first grade um <laughs> oh my god uh, <laughs> what <you> software, <laughs> the playroom, the treehouse, and the backyard. I've never heard of these. The Playroom came out in 1989. These are made by a company called Borderbund, And you play as like a little mouse character. You learn about your ABCs. You learn how to tell time. And you had this, what they called a mix-up toy. That swaps heads, torsos, and legs. Oh, yeah. And it was weird because the series kind of grew as technology grew. So, like, the playroom was really limited. And then you went to the treehouse. So, you had this whole treehouse to explore. And then the third one was the backyard. You just kept getting bigger. And then they would remaster the game. So, they, they created a remastered version of the playroom came out in 89. They remastered it in 95. The treehouse came out in 91. They remastered it in 93. Um, reason I have such clear memories of this is that these are like, the first computer games I had regular access to at uh, the elementary school I went to. They, they had both the 91 versions of it and
0: the 93 versions of it. I'm having some and- really weird flashbacks, and I don't know if they're real or imaginary anymore. Oh, they're
2: real because you went to the same school, John. God
0: damn it. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and actually, the theme song, The Treehouse, is really great. Unfortunately, the internet doesn't have a good video of the 93 version, which had lyrics. You can oh, man. you can see someone filming the 93 version from their phone and weirdly you can also find a video of someone who's videotaped off of the computer screen the video of someone videotaping it off their phone <laughs> <laughs>
0: Oh no but what
2: Weirdly the 91 version of the song is the same song it clearly had lyrics planned so I'm gonna, here's a little here's a little taste yeah. That's the Border yeah. Run software um, logo sound Wow Here we go
3: Pretty great. Oh they, I dig it.
4: Here we go. Hanging
2: out at the tree house. Oh. <laughs> Hanging out at the tree house.
3: At the tree house. Guys, I don't know this. Oh. Song. oh. We gotta get the at Super the Soul tree Brothers house. to do this I was gonna say the same damn thing. It's super funky. I
0: <laughs>
2: Yeah, so that's that's a little taste of that's that. great <laughs>
0: It's impressive that they managed to get that much tonal range out of that, right? Like <laughs>
2: What was used yeah. to make that again? Oh that that was that was not made by the game. That was just a part of the game. Got it. Um and oh. and the treehouse is an educational game. I was like D- was this a was there a creative aspect to it? Not really. It was mostly just learning skills, educational stuff. Um, it's something about the aesthetic
3: of those educational games. Like I'm looking at some screenshots now of the playroom. And it's, there's just something so sweet about it. Like <laughs> because the, they're not like games created with conflict in mind. Mm-hmm. It's just about like you growing. And so there's something so, uh, I don't know, enjoyable and like pleasant about the graphics, the, uh, the sprite art and everything. It's a, it's a beautiful image to look at. And especially with that music, it sounds like such
2: a fun time. <laughs> yeah, I'm under the impression that you can probably find emulators for these things. But yeah, they are. I can't imagine that anyone is, uh, <laughs> holds the license to these things anymore. But there, there was a game that immediately bubbled up in my mind when it came to creative games. And this is a, it's a, maybe what you might call a late era creative game. If we're looking at the early 90s as the time when this was a burgeoning enterprise where people thought maybe we could make some serious money here doing this. And that is a game called Opening Night. It's from 1995, and uh, it was produced by MECC, that's the Minnesota Educational Computing Consortium, which is the company that created Oregon Trail and all the successes. Does spin-offs this have live
4: it. action people in it? It does. Oh.
2: This is a game that is a theater simulator. It was developed <laughs> in cooperation with the Children's Theater Company in Minneapolis. It was out on Windows and Mac, and it uses actors in period costumes and uses basically the Mortal Kombat method of animation but with way <laughs> greater fidelity than
4: Mortal Kombat had. I- I'm looking at screenshots and this shit looks hilarious.
2: I've never heard of this. It had 40 actors, 100 sets, 300 props with lighting, music, and sound effects
4: and you basically make stage productions. And you can walk around and do different gestures and talk to different characters and create. It, like, it's so weird. It like, kind of changes the outcome. Wow. Yeah, it it
2: was really bizarre. It it was a tiny little movie maker essentially, and I at the time I was playing this maybe in I think seventh grade at school, and um, at the time there was like English assignments every day, write some stuff. It was it was just free write, so I was already writing stuff in like kind of a script format rather than just writing prose, and so I just turned everything I was writing into these weird little movies. That's so bizarre. I don't have any of them. They're all you know they all died at school (laughs) when when you know the, the the semester purge of content. Yeah. You know, it's funny you mention
3: finding this at school because I I never played this game, but a lot of people I know now, but not when I was a kid, a lot of us found out about a game that also came out for Windows in 1995 same year as opening night this game was called 3d movie maker Mm -hmm. and it was made by microsoft kids and it was essentially 3d environments with 3d characters and 3d objects and you could animate all these things and you can get very complex to do frame by frame animation or just do like the pre-done animations like walking and so on but a lot of people i know now actually discovered that at school because it was a free demo On the Windows computers that were released, I think, in 95 through 98. So you could play like a a miniature version of it. And so now that I'm thinking about it, with opening night coming out in 1995, you're right. 95 was like a really dense year, it seems, for
2: uh, creative uh, educational games. Being in the middle of the decade that was the sweet spot for CD-ROM games were getting, like, people had CD-ROMs at that point. It wasn't just, like, people who could spend a ton of money on computers. So all of a sudden, the market was opening up to see what they could do with it. People were spending real money investing in making different dynamic creative softwares and educational tools for, for kids, because parents were bringing these computers home. They were interacting with them at work. Now they were cheap enough they could bring them into the home, and so on and so forth. But... You know, was there a market for it? And I think in the end, the answer was not exactly, because kids don't have money. Guys, I've got
4: some good news for you. <laughs> What's that? Opening night is available as a free download for an, from a nonprofit company that keeps internet archives, and technically it's an educational game, so they don't—they're not like selling it. You can just download it for free. Wow. Um, it's Windows ninety five. I don't. If you can get it to run on your computer, good luck. Well, I also, oh. there, there's one other important <laughs> facet
2: that I should add, which was which really made this game opening night appealing. Once we got it in the computer lab, like people were going crazy with it because it was the first time that most of us had ever seen text to speech. Mm. It has a wide variety of text-to-speech options so that your characters can have different
0: voices. They must be hella Mm. bad, though. They're real bad.
3: Yeah, I'm reading here at the bottom of the Wikipedia article for opening night. It says, Star Tribune commented that the dialogue can either appear at the bottom of the screen like movie subtitles or spoken in a, quote, Stephen Hawking monotone. (laughs) Yeah. That is amazing.
2: Something interesting about... um, Uh, I guess this is like kind of the second wave of of this content, is that 3D Movie Maker came out, Opening Night came out, and they thought, okay, so maybe these didn't sell as well as we'd like. What if we licensed it? So 3D Movie Maker had Nickelodeon 3D Movie Maker, which had characters and stick-stickly. Well, similarly, Opening Night also licensed themselves out, and I guess The Learning Company slapped their name on it, so it became The Learning Company's American Girls premiere. So, themed around the American Girls franchise. This is in 1997. And offered players the ability to record their own voices.
3: That also was an option in 3D Movie Maker. But what I think is interesting about opening night is that these are all live action people. Yeah. And that's an, that's an aesthetic that is also very uniquely 90s. And actually, now that we're talking about it, something that was a little bit on our minds when we were making The Wingman because it was very strange to see fully rendered like live action characters appearing in a completely fake environment that was very decidedly um, <laughs> pixelated. And that's very unique to that era as well. That's not really a style that's coming back for probably good
2: reason. No, but I do I do love it. Brandon, as I recall, on PlayStation 3, I want to say, there was a game that was imported to um, the States for the first time, which was an older 90s era game. There was a shooting game that was a surreal like space shooter style game that used Mortal Kombat-like photographics. Do you remember what it was? We played it all the
4: time. Lots of scantily clad muscle men were, you don't
0: Oh, oh,
4: oh, uh, Choaniki? You're in space and you're fighting big muscle men with really creepy, like, shit happening? Uh-huh. Yeah, no, it's Choaniki. I love it because... What a horrible but great game. It took the Mortal Kombat style of game graphics and absolutely... Made it the creepiest thing you've ever <laughs> yeah. fucking seen. Like an old <laughs> Japanese man sitting down in a mechanical orb and then, like, his wang comes out.
2: More people <laughs> need to work with photo <laughs> sprites. Photo sprites it's are such a beautiful, really
4: weird-looking way to animate something. Yeah. Yeah, I'm never playing that game again. <laughs> but it was really it
3: was really fun. The 90s were just like the time when the uncanny
2: valley was ripe. Oh yeah. For the uncanny valley was was fertile and now we have sullied it.
3: 95 also had um Gosh, what was that other one that came out? Uh, Killer Instinct.
2: Of oh, that one I really. Well, and Killer Instinct was another was another paradigm of aesthetic because Killer Instinct was three D rendered graphics turned into
4: Mortal Kombat like sprites. Right. It was weird because they they the original Killer Instinct it. It looked almost like they were motion captured, but it was like 3D objects, but then was put onto a different background. So it didn't always look the same, like it was part of the same game. Do you know what I mean? Well, sure. And that it was kind of look pixelated on the edges.
2: Yeah. Well, I mean, it's the same thing as Donkey Kong Country, sort of, because I mean, it was rare mm-hmm. doing the same, the same techniques. And then also then another spinoff of all that was Clay Fighter. I remember that. I love that game. And my
3: mom hated that game.
2: <laughs> too, too
3: raunchy. Yeah. I wasn't supposed to be playing violent games. <laughs>
4: Boy, that game is violent with air quotes pretty hard. (laughs) But they're made out of clay, and there's not really blood, so it's okay. But mom, you're made out of clay!
2: (laughs) But they do have clay-talities in 63 and a third, so or maybe in all of them. I can't recall. Anyhow, we have veered sharply off the topic at hand, and we also may have covered just about everything. This is no microsode. This is a full-length episode, it turns out. So now that we're looking ahead, I mean, I don't think any of us here have children that we're aware of. and mm, Not yet, anyway. <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. And so if you know, if you, listener, are someone who has some experience with educational games in the modern era that have creative components like this, or that could be used perhaps in avant-garde ways by adults who are going to bend the rules... You should definitely let us know, because I'm very curious. I'm not sure that we have the means or exposure to readily find even what's out now, especially not it's with- There's probably a the ton tablets. of
0: stuff on them iPads.
2: Yeah, I'm sure there is. But like, is there anything that's cutting edge? Is there anything that's like super unusual? Let us know if there's something worth note in this discussion, because certainly I'd love to mess around with it. Absolutely. And we should also point out that if you go to patreon.com slash jazzyboho, that's B-O-H-O, you will be able to support Jazzy. You'll be able to get early access to all of the latest animations. Also, some other features as well, a podcast, I believe.
3: Yeah, so whenever I release a new short film, I record a podcast with the people involved and just kind of talk about the making of it, how we went about it, and just kind of talk it up, chat it up, do a little chit-chat and give you a little something extra.
2: And actually, as it turns out, you can hear me on an episode of Creative Suite, where I talk to Jazzy about the ins and outs of making... Battle of the Millennial Mind, and I get all my burning questions as to how the hell that thing was made answered. That's exclusively on Jazzy's Patreon. By the way, I would be remiss if I didn't mention that Nerdy Show also has a Patreon at patreon.com nerdyshow nerdy show, and it helps fund the entire Nerdy Show network, enabling us to keep making podcasts, to pay our rent, and electric bills, and everything we need to continue to exist. So, if you like this show or any of our shows, please do consider donating at patreon.com nerdyshow nerdy show. Even a dollar a month makes a huge difference. And also, please rate and review us on iTunes or Podchaser. Spread the word. Share this with your friends. If you dig what we do, then don't let us down. Spread Nerdy Show around. Can you uh, give us a, a hint as to what sort of projects are on the horizon?
3: Yeah, actually, just last night, something clicked for me, and I... Uh, started working on a script about a teacher who's uh, t- trying to teach people about internet
2: memes. And what style are you thinking of going in for uh, for this? Like Wingman style or Millennial Mind style?
3: I think it would be more in the vein of Millennial, but I also have been playing around with SketchUp, the 3D program. So I kind of want to try doing something with 3D backgrounds and Mario Paint characters, <laughs> but I don't want it to I don't want it to look like Parappa though.
2: So
0: hmm.
3: I got to test out some stuff.
2: Who knows? Cool. And uh, how about Fangamer? Any, uh, any cool upcoming projects you can talk about?
3: Yeah, we're doing a lot more commercials this year for some of our big product releases. So I've actually been working on a bunch of miniature like castle sets for one of the new uh, figurines that we're putting out. And then also we're going to be getting more outside of the office in actual uh, filming locations. There is an uh, old town way outside of Tucson, that we have permission to shoot at. So I'm
2: very excited about what that'll be like. Oh, that sounds really exciting. I can't wait to see that. Listener folks out there, you may have actually seen, if you're not like necessarily aware of whether or not you have seen some of this stuff, you may have seen the amazing commercial for the PS4 edition of Undertale.
3: I had more of a direct hand in doing most of the figurine commercial if people saw the Little Buddies Undertale commercial, which is basically like a really out-of-control 90s toy commercial, but with Undertale toys.
2: Yeah, where, where on earth do you find the plastic bricks needed for <laughs> the proper action figure smashing?
3: Yeah, that took a while, actually. There's like places on Amazon that just sell little wood blocks, and so I just painted them different colors. But what I'm working on now, actually, in a way makes me want to revisit the Undertale stuff because I just recently started learning how to craft foam, like sculpting styrofoam to look like brick textures and so on. So I, I think if I was to approach that now, it'd be even more interesting looking. But uh, yeah, I'm certainly excited about this this new project.
2: Right on. Well, again, patreon.com slash jazzyboho will link to everything we talked about on this episode's page. And we'll be talking about obscure video games that aren't just creative games sometime in the near future.
3: Cap, actually, I just remembered one thing that you probably would like me to mention. Oh, I'd- Can't believe I haven't told you about yet. Oh, please do. (laughs) (laughs) Fangamer is going to be having a not-camp-fangamer event this summer. Shut up. Celebrating Fangamer's 10-year anniversary.
2: Oh my god, when?
3: It's going to be on July 21st and 22nd, a Saturday and a Sunday. And that's basically just going to be like a big thank you party for all the people who have supported Fangamer for the last 10 years and really just kind of hanging out for a weekend. Um, There's going to be some kind of stream. There's going to be the fun convention elements like in the past, a game room, panels, trading space, and so on. So a lot of the stuff that you loved before will be there, and tickets are going to be really
2: cheap this year. Wow. Um, Well, uh, speaking from past events, you probably want to come out to this thing, so definitely consider going to Tucson, Arizona in the dead of summer and coming to party with... I'm going to presume I'm going to be there, because... I don't ever
4: not want to be there. Can't they just have it in Orlando one time? So I don't have to travel to Arizona. <laughs> the whole office okay. is there. I mean,
2: <laughs> oh, Jazzy said, "Okay, well, it's official." You yeah, it's 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 right. heard it here
3: first. Camp Fan Gamer in Florida. Woo!
2: Don't mind if I do.
4: Is there going to yeah. be mayonnaise hole?
3: <laughs> I, there will, without a doubt, be mayonnaise hole. Yes. <laughs> yes.
4: And if there isn't, some, I'm sure someone will get it started. Well, I'll start a game. Yeah. I'll, I'll get it going.
3: Well, I feel like this this event. The reason why it's kind of not Camp Fangamer is that it doesn't really have a theme surrounding a game. If there was a theme, it would be Fangamer, and (laughs) Manny's Hole is surely part of Fangamer's history, so no doubt that'll be celebrated there. It's
2: part of Fangamer's rich, creamy tapestry.
3: (laughs) Yes. If you do want to find more information about this event, you will be able to find it on campfangamer.com, because, let's face it, it is a camp, but, you know, Pokey's not going to be there. I'll put it that (laughs) way.
2: Well... That is music to my ears. I'm super excited. (laughs) Now, there's a lot that hasn't been said about Camp Fangamer in this episode because I've said a lot about Camp Fangamer in the past. I wrote a huge article on it, which is posted on nerdyshow.com and we'll link to on this episode's page. However, expressing the complexity of this event, which featured an interactive narrative and so many different components, Well, it's just a very hard thing to explain. So last year, I went out to Fangamer's offices and recorded an interview with Jazzy, Dan, Reed, Charlie, the people who made Camp Fangamer happen, and we've put together a 30-minute documentary explaining what Camp Fangamer 2015 was. I learned a lot, and I was there. It's an incredible story, and I think you're probably going to want to check it out. So that's linked on this episode's page an awesome 30-minute documentary featuring yours truly, asking a bunch of burning questions. What more could you want? Jazzy, thank you so much for joining us for this. Hey, thank you all for having me. This was a lot of fun. Why don't you take us out, Brandon? Need your sex time. Need, <laughs> need, need
4: your sex <laughs> See you next time. Need your sex time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right? That's, well, how, that's there, I'll, I will
3: I'll give you one. I'll, I'll do it. Mm. Well, everybody, my name's Cap, and I'm going to say goodbye. This is the end of Nerdy
2: Show forever. Goodbye. And I'm Jazzy, and I'm real cool, and I lament the loss of Nerdy
4: Show, but you know what? I accept it's an inevitable passing. <laughs> and I'm John West, and I love science, and I've got my, my Vive helmet on.
0: And I'm Brandon. Birds, birds, birds.
4: <laughs> <laughs> Nail them. <Very> nice. <laughs> That's pretty much me. <gasps> Bye. <laughs>